morning is from Luke 2, verses 15 to 21, and can be paid, found on page 832 in the Pew Bible. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this, had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name before the angel had given him before he was conceived. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks, Joan, and uh, good morning, everyone. My name's Tim, which means God's honour. <laughs> I'm the senior minister at St John's. Uh, if you are visiting uh, with us today, it's great to have you with us. Uh, and as Andrew has said, today uh, is the start of a new year. Uh, that may be a relief for many of us who had uh, not a great 2016, and we're glad to see the back of it. Uh, but there is a sense, isn't there, with a new year that there's a clean slate, there's a chance to... Uh, start again to reflect on uh, what happened last year and maybe make some decisions about what we would like uh, this coming year to be like, uh, which is why we do often make uh, New Year's resolutions to mark our intentions about how we would like to live with a new year ahead of us, uh, to run more, to eat less, uh, to learn to play the piano accordion. Uh, these are my three. Um, no, they're not. Um, and we may or may not be uh, more or less, you know, we may be uh, successful or uh, not so successful with our resolutions. Uh, if we're not too good at keeping our New Year's resolutions, it can often lead to despair. Uh, we get frustrated that we haven't been successful, we haven't been able to do it. Um, but one of my cousins has found a way around this. I noticed on Facebook she'd done a post the other day putting up what she calls her realistic resolutions uh, for the coming year, which looks something like this. Uh, eat too much, don't go to the gym, misplace things, wear your pyjamas often and buy shoes. Um, not setting the bar very high, uh, but at least there won't perhaps be a sense of failure in not achieving them. What about your resolutions this year, though, about uh, your relationship with God? What do you hope for, what do you desire will happen with your relationship with God this year? Uh, today, I want to speak about the one thing that you absolutely need to do this year to guarantee a great relationship with God. That sounds like clickbait, you know, that stuff on the internet that's trying to get you to click on it. Um, ten things that you absolutely have to do this year. Number five will blow your mind. Um, but there is one key thing that we want to think about today that is essential for you to grow in your relationship with God this year. 
As Andrew said, we're starting this series about the early years of Jesus. Uh, so at Christmas time, we focus a lot, don't we, on, on the birth narrative about what happens at Jesus' birth. Um, and today's Bible reading kind of was a transition. We picked up where the shepherds have had the appearance of the angel to them and they go to see Jesus uh, and to see the things that they've heard about. But the question is, what happens next? What does Jesus' childhood look like? Um, I don't know how you imagine in your head uh, what Jesus was like as a child, how he behaved, what sort of things happened. Um, Some of you might have a a vision a little bit like this. Um, If we've got the next slide there, Bruce. Um, Mary trying to give Jesus a bath. Um, Not working. Uh, We kind of laugh, don't we, at that? But then at the same time, we're, we're not sure. What was Jesus like? He could do these amazing miracles as an adult. Was that evident in his life as a child? Was it... You know, did he walk on water in the bus? (laughs) But did he? Um, What was it like? Part of the problem, of course, I think, is that we have the wrong view of the miracles of Jesus. We sort of think of them a bit like uh, superpowers, like Superman or Spider-Man, and even kind of bursting out uncontrolled, which, of course, is not what they're about. They're about uh, demonstrations of what God's rule, God's kingdom in the world is like, uh, showing what the world should be like. Um, feeding the hungry, calming storms, healing the sick, and so on. And there's no suggestion when we look in the Bible of such miracles being performed in Jesus' childhood. So what was it like? That's what we want to look at over the next few weeks of January. We're really picking up the story from Luke's Gospel and we're just tracing it through in Luke, uh, looking at these events that happened in Jesus' childhood. Of course, the story of the wise men in Matthew's Gospel probably happened later. The wise men didn't turn up on the day of Jesus' birth. That probably was a childhood story of Jesus a little bit later. But we're just thinking about how Luke traces the story through. Uh, And in many ways, it's quite ordinary as we look at uh, Jesus the child, and yet the implications of what is going on is quite extraordinary. Uh, We remember, as Henry was saying, that Jesus, one of Jesus' names is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That as we look at Jesus, here is God living amongst us. He's the word of God who became flesh and lived amongst us. Jesus, God the Son, living the human life. Which is encouraging for us because we know that uh, here is God himself living amongst us, experiencing the different stages of growth and maturity. He knew what it was like uh, to be three years old, to be six years old, to be 15. He knew what it was like to grow into adulthood just like us. Uh, he was just like us, and so we can take comfort from his association with us. But there's a sense in which he wasn't like us because he's the world's saviour, uh, and he does things differently to us, which is essential for him to save us. Today we're just focusing on one verse, which is the last verse of our Bible reading today, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Uh, And you can almost miss it just at the end of the reading. It's almost like a transition verse. Uh, uh, And it describes what happened eight days after the birth of Jesus, which is roughly today, if we're sort of counting from Christmas Day, 
that's roughly where we are. This is something that happened eight days after the birth of Jesus. And uh, traditionally in the church, the 1st of January was the date that the church celebrated the circumcision and naming of Jesus. Um, So today is the day uh, to be thinking about that. So let me read verse 21 again. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. What's going on here in that one verse? Well, in obedience to the Jewish law as described in the Old Testament, Mary and Joseph have Jesus circumcised. Um, Now, presumably, in contrast to what my esteemed colleague said, I'm presuming that this happens in Bethlehem rather than at the temple at Jerusalem. The next verse will go on to talk about Jesus' presentation at the temple. That's 40 days later, and we're going to look at that uh, next week. But we're only eight days in. Uh, Perhaps they did travel to Jerusalem, but we don't really know. Um, But Jesus is circumcised, and at the same time, he's named. Now, this is an ordinary, everyday occurrence in Jewish society. It had been happening for 2,000 years up to uh, Jesus' birth. So uh, the origin of it is with Abraham. You can go back to uh, Genesis chapter 17 and God speaks these words to Abraham. He says to Abraham, you are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you for the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. So there's a command here. This is a command of God to Abraham and his descendants, uh, the people of Israel. Eight-day-old males must be circumcised. And so Mary and Joseph obey the command of God. They do the dutiful thing as uh, uh, good parents uh, and Jesus is circumcised. But you also read in that verse from Genesis 17 something of the purpose of circumcision. It's a sign of the covenant between God and Abraham's descendants, the people of Israel. What's a covenant? Well, a covenant uh, is a promise or an agreement between two parties. In this case, God uh, and Abraham's descendants. God makes a series of promises to Abraham and his family, uh, which is back in Genesis 12, just a few chapters earlier. He promises Abraham that he'll give him a family, and that they'll become a great nation. God promises him that he'll have a place to live, that he'll give him uh, the land uh, of Palestine, where Israel were to live. And he promises him, thirdly, that he's going to bless him. Um, He's going to give him good things, and through him the whole world will be blessed through the descendants of Abraham. So as a result of these promises... Abraham and his descendants, the people of Israel, become God's special people. They enter into a relationship with God, they belong to God, and so they are to live differently. They're to live God's way and to obey his commandments, which will be spelled out later in the Ten Commandments and the other laws that God gives them. But to show that they are in this relationship with God that these promises have been made, that this agreement has been made between God and this group of people, God gives them a sign, a marker, to demonstrate that they are his people. And that sign, in the Old Testament, 
is circumcision. Every eight-day-old male is circumcised to show that the nation belongs to God. It's trying to think of what a modern equivalent might be, some sort of marker or sign uh, for belonging. Um, and the best I could come up with was, um, say, a biker tattoo. So if you join a, a motorcycle club, say, like the, the Hells Angels, um, when you're accepted as a member, uh, you get a tattoo, and the tattoo is a sign that you belong to the club. Um, it doesn't make you a member. If I went and got one of those tattoos, that wouldn't make me a Hells Angel. Um, in fact, it might get me into trouble uh, if I went and did that. But once you are accepted as a member, once you are in, it's a sign, it's a symbol, it shows that you belong, it's a marker that you are part of that group. And circumcision was like that. It's a sign of the covenant. It's a sign that you belong. It's a sign that you are in this relationship with God and one of his people. So Jesus is given the sign, he's given the marker that he is an Israelite, he's one of the people of Israel, he's one of God's people, he's an inheritor of these promises of God and it was part of being an obedient Israelite that God's commandments were to be followed, including this command to be circumcised. Now, as I said before, this is just a normal event in the life of a Jewish boy. This is what happened when you were eight days old. But knowing that here is... God the Son, God come in human flesh, um, what does it mean that he was circumcised? It makes it much more of a profound event, doesn't it? You see, part of the problem with the covenant between God and his people was that God kept his promises, his part of the agreement with his people, but the people of Israel kept failing in their part like all of us human beings fail to obey God fully, they didn't do it. They weren't completely obedient to the commands of God. In some ways, circumcision's the easy part. Continuing to be faithful to God rather than pursuing other things or other gods. Continuing to love God fully with our heart, our mind, our soul and our strength. Continuing to love our neighbour as ourselves. That's hard to consistently do and the people of Israel failed to do it. They failed to live the way that God wanted them to live as his people. Maybe they made New Year's resolutions. This year we're going to be better at doing it. This year we're going to follow God more fully. But each year they, like us, when it's just a sheer matter of will and trying, fail to do it completely. So there's a major problem, isn't there? There's supposed to be this agreement between God and people God is keeping his side of the bargain, but people continually fail to do what God would want them to do and continue to fail to live the way that God would have them to live. Now, this is a business contract between two parties. What would happen? Right? The party that's keeping its obligations would say to the other party, you're failing to do your bit, the deal is off. The deal is over, forget it, you haven't done what you've said, deal done. But God's not like that. Instead, God says, my people are failing to keep their part of the covenant, but I want to bless them. I want them to have good things, and I do want the whole world to be blessed through them. Rather than abandoning this promise, abandoning this agreement, abandoning this covenant, do you know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to come down, take on human flesh, and I'm going to do their part of the bargain for them. I'm going to fulfil their part of the agreement myself. So Jesus, who is God the Son, takes on human flesh and becomes an Israelite. He is the true Israelite, the true Israel, the true representation of what God's people are supposed to be and he fully and completely fulfills the law of God. And it starts here when he's eight days old as he's circumcised in obedience to the law. This is how uh, Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Bruce, have you got that? Thanks. But when the set time came, sorry, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. It's an inside job. God comes in and does what people had failed to do. In perfect obedience, Jesus fulfills the law. He lives the perfect life. He perfectly loves God. He perfectly loves other people. He lives in perfect harmony with the creation. Um, and he does what human beings are supposed to do, what Israel was supposed to do as the people of God. Someone has now fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. Jesus has done it and his circumcision is the start of that journey. It also foreshadows what Jesus will do to fully complete the law of God and fully redeem people, what it is uh, that he will do to save us. Uh, Jesus' circumcision is most probably, we, I mean, we don't really know, but most probably this is the first time that Jesus sheds blood. Um, it's not an image we think about. Um, a rabbi with a bloody knife or sharpened stone, a bleeding, screaming baby. Uh, when we've got our nice, peaceful nativity sets where everything's really nice, um, we don't kind of add in eight days later this um, rabbi with the knife. I've got... Um, sort of a Lego version that you could sort of add in here. Um, it's not something we think about. It's not a pleasant image. And yet, this is, this is the path to salvation, isn't it? This is the reality of Jesus coming to live the human life with all the frailties, the difficulties, the pain of being human. Um, as Jesus here as an eight-day-old baby um, sheds blood... So, at the other end of his life, he will hang bloodied on a cross with nails in his hands and his feet. Um, having perfectly fulfilled the law of God, dying there to take our sin and failure upon himself um, so that his righteous life, his perfection, his keeping of the law is credited to those who couldn't do it for themselves, but he gives it to us. He does it for us because we fail to do it. He does it for us so that we don't have to do it. Uh, as we see at the time of his circumcision, this eight-day-old boy is also named. He's given the name Jesus, 
the name that the angel had told them to give him. And as we spoke about with the kids before, that name means God saves. It's a name given to him because he will save people. He will rescue people. He'll save people from their sins. Uh, Jesus saves people from their sins by living a life of perfect obedience. That's part of his salvation, that he lives perfectly and does what human beings are supposed to do. He does it by giving up his life by dying on the cross. And he does it by rising again to new life, to destroy sin and death. So here's the one thing that you absolutely need in 2017 um, to guarantee a great relationship with God. You ready? Got your pen ready and your paper? There's some in the pews if you need to write this down. Here's the one thing that you absolutely need to do. You need to trust in Jesus. You need to trust in Jesus. You see, the great news of Christianity as we start a new year is that Jesus was perfectly obedient to the law of God. Jesus lived the perfect life and secured your salvation for you. Our right standing with God, our relationship with him, comes because we put our trust in Jesus and his righteousness, his forgiveness, his grace is given to us. Now, we might choose to do other things this year to grow in our relationship with God, and I encourage you to do that. Um, one of the things that we are going to talk more about this year is this whole idea of uh, a rule of life, which is really resolutions or um, decisions that you might make in order to shape your life under God in light of the relationship you have with God through Jesus Christ, but to grow deeper with that and to order your life around that. Things like, um, so you might resolve to sort of um, read the Bible or parts of the Bible this year to grow in your relationship with God, to read a Christian book or two which will help you to grow, to change your prayer life in some way, have a pattern which will help you relate to God and, and speak with God. You might uh, decide to go on a mission trip or to uh, change parts of your life so that you're acting more justly um, to those uh, around us or those around the world um, in a way that would honour God by the way that we live. You might decide to do any manner of these things and they're good things to do as you think about the year that you have ahead of you. I'd encourage you to resolve to do those things. But remember, none of those things will put you right with God. They flow out of a right relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ because he was perfect, perfectly obedient uh, to God, perfectly kept the law, starting as an eight-day-old baby in this expression of obedience which went on from there. The one thing that we need to do is to trust in Jesus and out of that trust, out of that dependence, out of that grace that he gives us, bringing us into relationship with God, out of that foundation, living out the Christian life, growing in that relationship with God more deeply this year in 2017, but every year um, as we draw near to God. So let me pray for us as we do that. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for your faithfulness and obedience. 
uh, that you did live the perfect life, that you did keep the laws of God perfectly. And we thank you that your righteousness is given to us as we trust in you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your love. And we do pray this year that we would act out of the security that we have of a relationship with the Heavenly Father through you. We thank you that you do make us your children by your grace. And so we help that uh, we pray that any resolutions that we might make might come out of this secure place that we are already in right relationship with you and we want to live that out uh, in our daily lives. So we ask for your help. We ask for your Holy Spirit to empower us to do this. Uh, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.